You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Tuesday, so it's time to speak to Joanne Bainham, who is from Sterling Wealth in Cape Town, portfolio manager at that institution. And I want to talk to you about something. Let's get technical, first of all, Joanne, because when you look at the S&P, for example, it burst through resistance, a so-called resistance or perceived resistance, uh, went to new highs last week, and then it pulled back and went below the old high. And it's just sort of churning and jostling and messing around at these levels. Now, there's two things that can happen here. It's either forming a top, technically, or it's forming a base, technically. If it's forming a top, then it's going to come back a little bit. If it's forming a base, then it's going to surge on to new highs. Let's talk technicals, first of all. What is your impression? Because obviously, you see the flows and you see the sector rotation and you see yeah, the fundamentals. So tell me, please. Lindsay, I'd love to have an answer for you and tell you that it's forming a base, it's forming a top, and I don't. But what I can tell you from everything I'm reading, this value trade looks more and more compelling by the day. And, and the reason I bring that up is because you could see indices going nowhere for a long time, and yet active managers make a lot of money. So in other words, an active sector bet, be it value, a style bet, or a sector bet, but I think it's entirely possible indices might struggle for it going forward. So if I had to take a bet on that, I'd say not necessarily fall or rise, just go nowhere for a while, go sideways, as the value shares outperform the growth shares and you see a, a sideways trending market. I think that would be my my view on markets at the moment. Okay, so there's various instruments you can use. There are various ETFs that you can use and funds that you can go into. Would you be going now for a value fund? Because there has definitely been a shift. I mean, it's a day-to-day exercise, of course, the way that money flows in and out of the various sectors, whether it be the S&P, NASDAQ, or the, um, the Russell 2000, whatever it is. But it seems to me that there has been a, a sort of a shift from the high growth shares to the value stocks. Would you be now be saying that a, a passive investment in a value fund rather than a growth fund is the way to go in 2021? Okay, here again, I'm not going to give you an honest answer in the sense that there isn't one answer fits all for this. And I'll tell you why. I think this whole value versus growth debate is so nuanced. And I think what it's actually about is about long durations assets versus short duration assets. And why do I say that? I think if you're buying a company with a hope of earnings in the future, so the long duration call. So a lot of these companies in the US have lost you a lot of money, but interest rates were so low and money was basically free, you could take a chance and make money. Those sort of long duration assets. But I think we're going into an environment now where inflation is starting to tick up. Look, I don't think we get runaway inflation, but it's starting to tick up. And I think we're going to see monetary policy become tighter in the years ahead. In that environment, you don't want to be in long duration assets. You want to be in short duration assets where the earnings are improving. They're not actually negative earnings. But a lot of these companies have done well with negative earnings. Their earnings are improving. Global growth is picking up. Massive fiscal spending. And the shorter duration assets do better. Now, you could call that value versus growth. But the reason I'm saying I think it's more nuanced than that is when I say to you technology companies – do you say to me that's growth or value? What, do you have a, a view in your head of what that means? Or do you say just they're technology companies? I think... Oh, sorry, um, I have to ask you the question. What would you call that? I think that there's certain technology companies are still growth, but also present value as well because they are established companies and they've got a proven track record. So it's not as if they're a startup. So I think there are certain tech companies. There are several which, which spring to mind, which we don't need to reference now. But there are certain companies that display the qualities of both value and growth. Do you not agree? 
No, I do. And I think you said it spot on, Lindsay. That's the point. And I think if we can be too clever about value versus growth, I think ultimately it comes down to looking at future earnings, discounting them by an interest rate that makes sense to you and say, if I buy that company, is it below or above my DCF, my discounted cash flow valuation? So is it above or below my intrinsic value? Now, that value could be in a growth company. Maybe a growth company has lost its way and people don't like the company anymore. Maybe it's a tech sector that's got boring for some people, yet it's still a growth company at a value price. People get so confused by this notion of value versus growth. They think value has to be bad companies. It doesn't have to be. Yes. It just has to be able to buy companies that are trading below the intrinsic value. And I think that's where we're going with markets. And I think we're saying to ourselves, a lot of companies that have a poor couple of years are starting to have better earning forecasts. I mean, here's a great stat for you. In one of the uh, presentations I listened to recently, the guy said in their portfolio, in their so-called value shares, yes. the next two years of earnings are going to be 25% a year. The S&P growth sector or Russell growth or whichever one they were looking at was only going to have earnings, malt earnings of 17% for the next two years. Now, both sides are good earnings, but one is supposedly value and one is growth. But the value share is actually getting better earnings than the growth shares. And you see what I'm saying? This is a very difficult debate. I think you can buy good companies and low PE multiples with good, good earnings going forward at a decent discount rate. That's where you want to be playing. So back to your very initial question. Yeah, the S&P might go nowhere if a lot of these high-flying stocks that are ridiculously expensive fall because people realize you can buy better things with your money. But so, so, so that's to answer your question. Sorry, Lindsay, yeah? Let's have a look at Tesla. Tesla's a tech company. It's a tech company with, with a few cars that they sell occasionally. It doesn't yes. sell a lot of cars, but it does sell cars. But it's got this incredible battery technology. And um, as I said, it's um, more of an IT company than anything else. Now, w when you look at Tesla and you see it going from 250 to 900, uh, back down to 600, currently around about um, 700, how do you approach that as a fund manager, as you are at Sterling Wealth? How on earth do you uh, assess that sort of company? And you, you can't ignore it. It's in the S&P 500. What is your approach to that sort of volatility and this noise that constantly surrounds this thing? Look, when it comes to Tesla, I, along with a lot of other people, have got it horribly wrong. I mean, I, I wouldn't have touched it. I wouldn't have touched it at $250 and I probably wouldn't touch it at $1,000 because I don't understand the company. I think in Investing 101, you've got to understand what you're, what you're buying. And I don't know what I'm buying there. I mean, you say it's a tech company. Other people say it's an EV company. Other people say it's an AI company. And when I look at Tesla, I just think people have a godlike complex when it comes to Elon Musk. Mm. So a lot of those things don't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I don't know if you've been seeing following Kathy Woods, who, who founded ARK Investments talking about, I think she's got a price target now for Tesla $3,000. Dollars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can't justify that on fundamentals. I can't run an EPS graph and go, oh, well, I think this is now worth this at this discount rate because pie-in-the-sky type stuff. But, you know, I, I'm the completely wrong person to ask about Tesla, but there are plenty of other companies out there that are boring that will give good earnings that are much easier to value. But Tesla to me is, you know, it's done well. People like Bailey Gifford, for instance, have had huge exposure in their funds, have done very well. Would I buy it? No, but I've been wrong. 
doesn't mean I won't be wrong going forward. It just means I don't know how to value it. I was just looking at the type of company that has done so, so well and has, has shot up and thinking more of the way that you approach that sort of company, whether it be Alphabet, whether it be uh, Microsoft even, which has done so incredibly well, uh, or whatever the other ones are, and the, the FANG stocks. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, do you buy FANGs or do you buy BATs? And BAT is now the new one because Baidu listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange this morning. So you've got Baidu, you've got Alibaba, Alibaba and Tencent. Tencent. So now we've got the yes. bats versus the fangs. Which one would you buy, fangs or bats? Well, from a valuation perspective, the bats look more appealing because their valuations are cheaper. Mm. And one would have argued previously that that China wanted these big champions and we're going to have them, give them free reign to do very well. Lately, however, the rhetoric out of China has been slightly concerning in terms of how they seemed, they appear to be wanting to be destroying the business models of these companies. So there is that slight concern at the moment, but particularly from a valuation perspective, the bats look better than the fangs. Though having said that, some of these fang stocks have also come off lately, and I think they're almost become the boring part of tech, the fang stocks, because they have good earnings, fantastic cash flow, but they're not losing money. It's sort of, we've been in a world where losing money seems to be the most attractive asset class for people to invest in. I mean, here, how's this for a stat last year? I think there was something like 399 companies in the US that lost money. And if you just bought those companies, I, I don't know, I think it's over a billion dollar valuation or something. I can't remember the stat exactly. But if you just bought those companies, you've outperformed everybody because the companies were losing money, made you the most money the next year. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. How can you buy a company that's losing massive amount of money and make huge amount of money? At some point, some of those are not going to make it. And the only reason that's happened is because money's been free. So if you now fast forward and say we're going into a world where money isn't free anymore and maybe interest rates start to tick up slightly, a lot of those companies with poor business models are not going to survive. Mm. But, you know, back, back to your bats and fangs discussion, these are good companies. You know, they've got decent earnings, decent cash flow. The, the part of the market that I think people are very worried about are these very small tech companies that have got ridiculous valuations. They're not particularly worried about the fangs. They're worried about the other parts of the market, these small cap companies with you know, no earnings, for want of a better word. And I think that's where the big risks lie. So maybe the FANGs have just got ahead of themselves. And I don't want to be too acronym-led here, but the acronym for FANGs is, what is it, Facebook, Alphabet, Netflix? Netflix and, and Google. I thought that was Alphabet. So what was the No, that's, that's Apple. Apple. Oh, sorry. Facebook, Apple, Netflix and Google. Do you know anyone that hasn't yeah. got a Netflix subscription? Do you know anybody that doesn't have Netflix? Well, not in South Africa, I don't, because it's so reasonably priced. The competitor here is so expensive. So, <laughs> yes, I mean, I think Netflix has done very well here. But at, at some point, you know, people stop watching. And also remember, people have been watching a lot of TV because they have had nothing better to do than to watch TV. When we're let out of our houses finally, maybe we'll all stop watching le less Netflix. Well, I'm the, the first person then you've met that doesn't have uh, Netflix, but that's okay. No, 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 I do have it. I'm, I'm saying to you I do have it, but I'm saying is I can't wait for the day when I don't watch it anymore. Yeah, well, what I'm saying I is that I don't have it. And, I, and, and if I want it, someone will say, well, you can just piggyback on mine. You do, I didn't know that. You could, you could, they just yes, give you, you can. your code? You yeah, four users, I think, per code. So you can't, it's allowing one household to have four different accounts in one household, basically. Exactly. So who needs that? Anyway. <laughs> no, no, I mean, look, but I mean, I think a lot of people will pay it because it's not that expensive. That's the point. I think if it got very expensive, then people would cheat. That's the wonderful thing about economics, right? Make it the right price and people don't cheat. But Netflix has done that very cleverly. But, but what I'm saying to you, I think in this kind of COVID, post COVID world we're still living in, 
people are watching an awful lot of TV. I, I just hope we're going to society where that becomes less of that and not more. So it's not even about new subscribers. It's about how many hours everyone's watching and maybe people will stop switching it off. But yes, I mean, yeah, different story. But I mean, look, Netflix, exciting. These companies are, are structurally really good companies. If you can buy them at cheap valuations, they'll still buy them. That's the whole point about this value versus growth argument. I think we've, we've lost our way sometimes. It's can you buy good companies at good valuations? If you can, then you should do it. If they're too expensive, don't. And I think the too expensive argument has lasted for so long because interest rates have been so low. But if we're going to society, we're going to a world now where they start raising rates at some point. I mean, I, before you and I started talking on the phone now, I think it's um, Kaplan, one of, the central bank, one of the central bank governors in the US, yes. has said, well, why not? We could see rates rising in 2022. Oh, now please, that's please bring it forward statement. to 2021 because you're just putting off the inevitable. The US 10-year bond yield is 10 uh, basis points below where it was a, a week ago, which was 175.5. It's now 165.5, but it's just poised for greatness, I think, the, the, the rise in yields. Anyway, we've been talking too much about the overseas markets. Let's talk about your home country, South Africa. And talk about the South African markets, which have just uh, it's still in the middle of uh, earnings season. And there's been some interesting earnings. Have you seen anything you liked, Joanne? Um, not particularly, but what I did find very interesting, I, ShopRite results came out. Yes. And I, I, this is more a question of the COVID and lockdown philosophy, is they were saying a lot of their customers haven't come back to be buying legal cigarettes and legal booze. So there, there are long-term implications to what this government's done in this country in terms of its lockdown philosophy. So I thought that was very interesting. You are seeing some great earnings coming out of South African companies, but there is a base effect argument coming with that. I think the banks have had some pretty good results. But going forward, I continue to worry about South Africa. I, I've worried about it for a long time because, you know, once this base effect is out the way, where's the growth coming from? You know, we have load shedding all the time here at the moment. Okay, maybe not this week, but we did last week or the week before. And how do you run a country when you have no electricity? How do you go into a country with a fourth industrial revolution when you have no electricity? You know, you've got students demanding that they get free education. Well, if something's free, it's probably not worth it after a while. So we're not thinking about these things. Why should everybody in South Africa have a varsity degree? There are the other ways to employ people. So I just, I worry about the growth rates of this country and I worry. I mean, look at our vaccine program is a joke. It's a complete and utter shambles. I was you know, talking I mean, to. I think we're relying on herd immunity to get us through this, but the rest of the world won't let us in. I was talking to David Shapiro um, around about a week ago, and I think it was the Consumer Confidence Index that came out. And within that Consumer Confidence Index, I got it from the desk of Annabelle Bishop at Investec, and she put it starkly. I mean, she put a good argument forward, and one of the parts of her argument was that. Unemployment is officially 32%, 32.5%, whatever the mm -hmm. detail is. But unofficially, the unemployment rate in South Africa is 45.7%. And I was talking about this to David Shapiro, who you know very well. And mm -hmm. uh, he said, somebody's got to feed the 45.7%. And it just hits home. It's so simple, isn't it? 45% unemployment. They have to be fed. They have to get benefits. They have to live. And so they should. The okay, I'm going to say something quite controversial here. And for people listening, please forgive me. But it's not only that we have a massive unemployment problem in South Africa, we have an unemployable problem as well. Do, do you know how many people are graduating from schools in South Africa? Well, no, sorry, not graduating, but sort of 12 and 13-year-olds who can't read or write. Yeah. This is a, a complete and utter tragedy. I know you and I have talked about this a lot of times, but the, the education crisis in South Africa is horrific. 
And I'm saying to you, to structurally believe in South African domestic stocks more than just a trade, because all I speak to fund managers about, if they're honest with themselves, is a trade. These things get too cheap, we buy them, we trade out of them. They're not buy and hold investments. To be a truly buy and hold investment in South Africa, we've got to fix some big problems. And one of those is education. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember the story the other day. Oh, yes, SA Airways, I think is one of them again. You know, you bear not SA Airways. We don't have toilets for kids at schools. Uh, it's a tragedy again. It's a massive problem. We've got kids thinking they've passed matric when they get 30% for maths. This is not sustainable in the long run. It's just not. And then now we've got a vaccine issue where people aren't being vaccinated. So, I don't know. I, I mean, yes, in the short term, the South African markets have looked great. They've rallied. But fabulous. The rand's been quite strong because it's all on this back of the sort of value trade. I mean, I know it's weakening at the moment because of the Turkey shenanigans. But, you know, the rand's been relatively stable of late. And then you've got the situation where people want to be buying these value shares. But even a value company has to have long-term sustainable earnings. Where are the earnings of South Africa coming from? I'll give you another example. I interview people and they say to me they like domestic stocks, SA Inc. And I go, that's exciting. They go, yes, because the strong gets stronger. Yeah. And most of their growth will come from the fact they get margin enhancement, they take over their competitors, and they do much better. But not one single guy I've spoken to, a woman, has said to me, no, no, we like these companies because the whole market's growing. They just want to cannibalize market share from each other, and that's exciting. But not because the market's growing. This country has got massive problems, and, and we've got a, gov a, a country, I mean, a policy, policies in power that don't know what they're doing. Let, let's be brutally honest about this. We, we just, we're going nowhere slowly, and it's very scary. And the tax base is disappearing in front of our eyes. Yes, it is. And you're talking about SAA, which has drained the South African economy to the tune of tens of billions over the time that I've been a broadcaster, let alone um, in the last couple of years. It's been doing it for 20 years. I'm just seeing this thing that's just come from uh, Daily Maverick. It says here, South Africa's aviation industry regulators says it's investigating an alleged takeoff delay and safety incident involving an SAA flight that collected the second consignment of Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccines from Brussels on the 24th of February. The crew allegedly miscalculated the takeoff weight of the Airbus A340 by almost 90 tons ahead of its departure to collect the vaccines. I mean, it, it, you, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is an airline that's been in operation for decades and decades, and it was a fine airline until the, I'm sorry to say this, but until the ANC got in charge and decimated it. Completely. And I think the only reason, and I think I've said this to you before on your show, and I think many people have said the same thing to you, the only reason I can see why SAA Airways is still continuing is because a lot of politicians can get their free airline tickets. Because well, that may be it, harsh, it comes, but um, it's a bankrupt com company that continues to and, suck I mean, the life out of the economy. Look, if we were overseas and interest rates were basically zero and cost of capital didn't matter and people throwing money at problems, yes, absolutely, save SAA Airways because you'll be saving everything else. Hmm. But when money is scarce... And when people are starving and we've got unemployment levels like we've got in this country, how can they, How can any decent politician put money into SA Airways? It's completely beyond me. But look, I'm not saying something that hasn't been said by thousands before me. I, I think a lot of South Africans feel this way. But, but back to your point about, you know, where do I see opportunities in South Africa? I, I think if you want to make money here, it still remains a trading environment. I mean, I, I think ultimately you want to be in good companies with proper R&D, with highly trained, highly educated people with growing market share. Mm. And 
that's getting harder and harder to find in South Africa. Of course, there are a few gyms. And of course, there's some fantastic fund managers in this country who do a really good job unearthing those gyms. I'm just saying is I think the pool that they, they're swimming in is quite small. Okay. On that note, as it's 35 degrees in Cape Town, you're going to probably go and uh, get ready to swim in your pool, uh, Joanne. But thank you very much for your time, as always. That's Joanne Bainham, who's a portfolio manager at Sterling Wealth, as I said, in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.